Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hello and welcome to a special Compliance Beat podcast. It's been a while since we had a guest on the podcast and um, the one that we are going to have today, and actually this is a two-parter, so we'll have her on today and uh, in a second episode next week because we had a lot to talk about, uh, is a particularly prescient one since we all are thinking about data privacy. Uh, Teresa Troster-Falk, is the chief global strategist of Nimity. Uh, She leads Nimity's global privacy strategy. She's a thought leader in the privacy industry and helps uh, identify organizations' needs around privacy. Uh, I know, I don't know about you, but certainly with GDPR uh, and now the new California law coming right on its heels, uh, this is something that uh, um, I always want to learn more about. And Teresa definitely seemed like a, a good person to uh, uh, bring into this discussion. She's responsible, again, for uh, Nimity's external thought leadership. Uh, she's authored numerous white papers and other publications on these topics around privacy. Uh, and she has over 20 years of experience, including 14 years specifically as a global privacy professional. Uh, prior to joining Nimity, she was the Associate General Counsel for Privacy for Nielsen, uh, where she expanded the program there, as well as initiated key global and regional uh, data privacy and data protection programs and strategies. So she has seen this from both sides. She's been working with organizations over the past few years, uh, and she has a lot of, I think, really helpful and practical, which is what we're always looking for here at uh Compliance Beat, practical suggestions on how to approach the new law in California. Uh, And uh, for those of us who are still dealing with uh, privacy generally and GDPR specifically, she has some thoughts about that as well. Uh, So uh, as I mentioned, this is a two-parter. So this is the first part. Uh, I'm going to bring her on in just a second. Uh, But uh, we'll uh, continue our discussion next week. So tune in for that as well. So without further ado, let's talk to Teresa. Welcome, Teresa. Hello. Uh, to begin our conversation today, um, could you briefly describe for the listeners the California Consumer Privacy Act uh, and talk a little bit about the fast approaching deadline for that new law? Yes, um, this act is certainly getting a lot of attention. And since its enactment um, last year, we've heard it called groundbreaking and watershed and unprecedented. And to you listeners out there, is it all that? And in short, I would say, yes, I think it is all that. And why do I say that? I've been in this space a long time, uh, focused exclusively supporting organizations with privacy and data protection compliance. And this is the first time I would say that I have seen US companies really nervous. I mean, if you're outside of the regulated areas like finance and health and children, really Uh nervous about this law. Uh And it's on the heels of the GDPR, right? And 
um, so I think it is all of that. And, and why is it? Because it's not this broad-based law like the GDPR is, and we'll get into some of that as the podcast goes on, I think. Um, the actual requirements are not uh, so onerous compared to all the things you had to do under the GDPR. But it has one particular um, difference and that is the requirement that individuals be allowed a right not to have their data sold. So that's really different. And that has huge business impacts, almost more, there's operational impacts, it's also huge business impacts. And let's face it, in the US, California is particularly litigious, fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. And we uh-huh. already know that the plaintiff's bar is lining up, you know, for January 1st, <laughs> uh, that's going to happen. So um, it is, uh, in brief, it, the core of it is dealing with consumer rights. It is a fast approaching deadline now. I think we're 19 weeks out, January 1st, uh-huh. when it will take effect. Um, they There will not be enforcement until six months in, in July 1st or six months after the guidelines are uh, released, but we're not seeing those anytime soon or any regulations anytime soon. So um, that's a brief discussion, a uh, description to get us started here. Uh, well, well, and you bring up a good point in your in your answer about uh, jurisdiction and, and the fact that this is coming out of California, where there's a you know a history of strong enforcement of uh, different uh, uh, regimes, not only in uh, uh, privacy and data, but but just broadly speaking, it's a it's a, a high regulatory state. I think it's, it's I think everybody mm-hmm. would agree. Uh, the other thing that I noticed that's that's potentially different between this law and the GDPR implementation, and I wanted to get your perspective on this, is the way G and and I and the reason you're on this podcast is because I'm certainly no expert on GDPR, but mm-hmm. the one thing I do re- recall about GDPR is the enforcement is left to what is it, 25 or 27 different uh, uh, potential uh, enforcers spread throughout a vast territory, whereas we have one, uh, you know, uh, this is one jurisdiction. Do you think that that might uh, uh, cause some sort of uh, difference in how it's applied versus what we've seen so far with GDPR as far as uh, enforcement? Well, uh, the truth is I think it's a bit too early to Uh – judge enforcement it, it's certainly the enforcement structure is very different you have supervisory authorities throughout the european yeah. states um enforcing uh and we have one regulator the state attorney yeah. general of california and we don't know yet how strong that enforcement is going to be uh-huh. what areas they're going to focus on i mean in europe we see the uh, UK ICO and the French Canil taking up the ad tech industry, you know, on force. Uh-huh. That's going to be really interesting to play out, for instance, um, because California is the hotbed of, you know, where all that happens and it's all those companies. Um, so, but, you know, in addition to the state AG, of course, you have the private rate of action that's it's specific to security breaches. But um, yes, it will be a very different enforcement uh, regime. So, Teresa, you mentioned uh, in, in your first answer that there are uh, uh, some some similarities, uh, but then also called out a particular difference between uh, the new California law and GDPR. Uh, what are some other differences that you see with the new law versus what people have been implementing under GDPR? 
-hmm. Well, so um, often there were a lot of headlines about California's new law being, you know, the U.S. version of the GDPR. It's our Uh GDPR. And I actually have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about that (laughs) because I don't think it is at all. And Uh yes, there are some similarities, but the both um, have very contextual backgrounds, right? European privacy or data protection, the word privacy isn't used is actually data protection has a long history Uh and took four years, you know, to, get that law into place. If you look at the California law, I mean, sort of likened between like a doctoral thesis, the GDPR and like a last minute midterm paper. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like that. I I think that that's kind of true. So what is catalyzing? You guys probably say, I don't actually think it's the GDPR. I think the GDPR has influenced global data protection tremendously. Nigeria, for instance, became the 134th country with a broad privacy law. It's very closely modeled on the GDPR. But the GDPR was this broad-based accountability law. You have to demonstrate compliance with law as a legal requirement. There were like 55 measures we had to put in place, like appointing a data protection officer, data protection impact assessments, and um, contracts with your processors. And the list went on and on. Uh-huh. Under California, it's really focused on consumer rights. Um, these, your notice, you know, you've got to have a privacy policy in place. Um, you have to update it once a year, and then you have to respond to access requests and deletion requests. And there's this sort of data portability thing, but it's really the core of it is consumer rights. And I see it much more in line with. Uh, you know, some scholars are calling this the um, norm entrepreneurs, you know, people that are trying uh-huh. to change the norms. So that the whole history of this law was based on this reaction to Cambridge Analytica. And that's even in yep. the preamble, right? Like what's happening with our data? What are these big companies doing? We got to do something. Let's change it versus this, you know, comprehensive control over our data as technology evolves, it really was a reaction to all of that. And so that's, I think, why we see this core focus on consumer rights and and then this like, and we're really gonna punish you, you know, with, uh-huh. with, uh, with private right of action around um, if you, you know, if our data is exposed. No, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, the, the, you have to consider the context, right, of of where the where the law uh, sort of sprung up from. Um, clearly influenced by uh, the regime in in Europe, but but also clearly influenced by a lot of other things that are going on mm-hmm. uh, here and and around the world. Um, uh, what's the current status around amend, amendments uh, for mm-hmm. uh, the Cal? Because you mentioned it was. Uh, kind of a quick midterm paper. Are, are there are yep. there some some uh, uh, further changes down the road that we can see? Well, certainly organizations and advocates are hoping on both sides. Uh, there are so many amendments that were put forth, and right now uh, September thirteenth is the date to watch. That's the deadline um, for these amendments to pass. Uh, there were about 10 that were proposed. Many have failed, but there's still a few on the table. And after September 13, you know, it's the recess period till next year. So so this is the date where things have to happen. And I think that there's a few that we want to watch for, or that certainly organizational watch for. Assembly Bill 25. Uh-huh. Um, it's 
it deals with the definitions around authentication. So, you know, responding to these verified consumer requests. I mean, how do you authenticate, you know, who the consumer is? Um, and then some exemptions for employees. So there's been a whole other um, area raised around, is it, is this law even, was it even supposed to extend to employees? So uh -huh. um, if it passes, it would mean that the access and deletion rights would not extend to employees until 2021, sort of this year grace period. The notice provisions would still provide, but there would also be some further clarification around what a verifiable consumer request uh, would mean and how to do that's really giving companies a lot of consternation how do i uh -huh. verify consumers so you don't want to give information to the wrong person because then you're like in a breach scenario right but then yeah. you don't want to ask for too much information because then you might be holding more information than you had in the first place so it's really i think there there needs to be clarification on this and it's also ripe for maybe technological innovation in this space then there's um AB 1564, another amendment to be aware of. And that says, you know, if a business operates exclusively online and has a direct relationship with a consumer from whom it collects uh, personal information, then you should only be required to provide an email address for submitting requests for information uh -huh. um, versus having these two mechanisms. And then um, AB 1355, um just looking at the updates on that this morning um in it, it deals again with sort of the the kind of information that you have to provide a consumer you know upon request uh -huh. and the detail of that because and that again is a confusing area because it talks about categories of information and categories of third parties and nobody has quite figured out what that means and how specific to get and we see you know in in a lot of companies gdpr is uh, lesson here, overreacting or overstretching and like literally providing a, a tome of information, you know, paper, uh, five inches thick, you know, to make sure yep. you get everything. And it, it just can't be what the law requires. So again, those are those are specific ones to watch for in September 13th. Is to say, if they don't pass then, then, you know, it's recess until January where they may reconvene and pick them up again. No, that, that that's that's something to watch for, but you bring up a good point uh, about what companies ought to uh, be aware of, uh, what the expectations are going to be, um, and 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 I guess the th the first question is, since a lot of this is still in flux, should companies still kind of be waiting, waiting to see what the the final outcome is? I, I know back when GDPR was going to come into effect, I uh, had a few clients who were like, well, we're just going to kind of wait and see what. <laughs> What happens oh, with this, the whole GDPR thing? Uh, and I was like, I don't know that that's the wisest choice. But uh, I know that the, some organizations felt that they were they were going to wait and, and would take a wait and see attitude. Uh, do you feel that that is a smart uh, tack to take with the California law? And uh, uh, what would be your perspective if, if a client or a potential client said something like that to you? Yeah. 
I don't. Um, there's, I mean, yes, some of these amendments are pending and there's guidelines that will come out in certain areas, but there are core things that are not going to change that are part mm -hmm. of the amendments and, right, you're going yes. to have to fulfill access requests, deletion requests, right? So get those procedures in place. You're going to have to update your privacy notice and mm -hmm. it's going to have to be, so it's more around the accountability, who's going to own that, who's going to do it in your company. Um, if you, most companies probably already have a procedure in place, test it. Does it work? Uh -huh. I mean, oftentimes uh -huh. these procedures are built, they're documented somewhere, but then there's no ownership around it, right? Yeah. So you don't even know if it works. Is is your is the link on your website functioning? Does the phone number go to the right place? Is the person who usually answered still in your organization or have they moved on? I mean, there's lots of things that can be done now that really these small administrative things can take up so much time and yes. there's no need to wait on those. Um, yeah. Well, a, a thing that strikes me about that is having uh, wor worked with a couple of clients that were in the midst, uh, the clients that did not say, oh, I'm just going to wait and see what happened. Uh, they they did update their privacy policy for, for GDPR. They did update their procedures. Uh, for uh, notification and, and, and other aspects based on the changes. I, I foresee a potential issue here because as we talked about a few minutes ago, there's been this direct comparison between the California law and GDPR. Uh, if a client uh, were, were to say to you, uh, instead of I'm not gonna do anything, say, well, I already did it. I, two years ago, I already did it. So since this is just uh, another version of the GDPR, what else do I need to do? What, what, what's the answer to that? Uh, uh, hey, you've got the bee buzzing in my bonnet again. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're comparing it to the GDPR. And yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> um, the, the answer is they're not the same. I mean, you're, you'll be in a good position. You've done work, but there are some really specific things that are different. So, you know, let's look at the notices, for instance, um, the requirement to provide uh, the information about the types categories of personal information you have on people. You don't have to get so specific, but go back to the definition of personal information. If you read uh -huh. the law carefully and it's my bedtime reading, you know, such interesting stuff. Yeah. I actually noticed something that I hadn't noticed before because everyone's like, well, how detailed do I have to get? But but the, there's actually provision law that says when you when you describe these categories on your website, the categories yeah. relate to the actual identifiers that are listed in the definition of personal information. Okay, then it gets, uh -huh. so it's like name and address. So you identify these, cat. we collect name, we collect address, we collect IP addresses, right? You sort of go through that list and say, do we collect any of these things? Uh -huh. And if the ones that we do, those are the categories that we're going to list. But then you uh -huh. need a separate list for what kind of third parties you share that information with. You need a separate list for if you've sold the data, what kind of entries uh -huh. you sell. So there are some differences and even how you might structure it. And typically in this world, as I said, I've been in it for 17 years and long before the GDPR, I can assure you, I was not twiddling my thumb and none of my colleagues and peers were either. There were already over a hundred. Uh, we yeah. never had enough time or resources, but it was always sort of the general, I saw the shift from, you know, well, we're going to have one privacy notice for, you know, different ways of doing things in different countries to like, wait, that's completely unmanageable. 
Uh Let's have this global policy and then we'll identify where there's a few tweaks. Okay, South Korea has a more extensive provisions around providing consent and notice. So let's tweak it in, but we'll have it the same everywhere. This is the first time that I've heard a lot of uh, law firms suggesting that maybe this approach of having one global policy is uh-huh. not is not going to be necessarily functional. And you might, depending on your business, right, especially if you are in the business of selling data, maybe this is a time when you do want to have something separate for California. Like, I think that's yet to be seen. That's to me, seems very difficult to manage and scale and maintain over time. But I can say that there are some companies seriously thinking about that. So to answer your question, if you've done the GDPR, you're in good stead, you've done a lot of work, but you'll have more to do. You're not, you're not done yet. <laughs> you're not done yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So that's the uh, first part of, as I mentioned at the top, a two-part uh, conversation with Teresa on uh, privacy issues. We talked a lot about the new California law, uh, some pending amendments, um, uh, how it is, or as the case may be, is not uh, like uh, what we're familiar with now with GDPR. And uh, next uh, week, we're going to talk a little bit about other um, uh, pressing privacy uh, regimes that are out there, uh, both GDPR itself, but also uh, what other states might be doing. So please, uh, yeah, you know, if you are saying to yourself, well, I don't do business in California and uh, I'm not in California, which, you know, a little, a little bit like uh, not being in the U.S. jurisdiction is probably hard to imagine. But uh, even if you're not in California, there are some other pending uh, uh, laws out there uh, that you need to be aware of. And so tune in, tune in next week. Um, uh, same uh, uh, same uh, compliance beat channel, <laughs> and uh, we'll have the second part of this interview. Um, I also submit, should mention, as I uh, as I always do, uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already uh, on iTunes or wherever you um, get this podcast. Uh, it really is helpful um, uh, for us. Uh, do get in touch. Yeah, you can find ways to get in touch with us at compliancebeat.com and moreheadcompliancesconsulting.com. We really would like uh, to hear from you. Um, Also, uh, as I mentioned, I think in the last podcast, uh, coming up here in September, I'm going to be at the SCCE's annual Compliance and Ethics Institute. Uh, It's going to be uh, just outside of D.C. in in the National Harbor uh, in Maryland this year. Uh, if you're planning on going to that event, uh, please come by and see us. We'll have our booth uh, there in the Exhibitors Hall. would love to see you if you're a listener. Um, and we have a webinar coming up, uh, which I think I mentioned last time as well, on compliance communication, uh, which is scheduled with our friends at Clear Law Institute on November 12th at uh, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern. I think on the last episode I said it was going to be on the uh, 11th. Uh, I was wrong. If I said that, I apologize. Uh, but it will be on on 12th, and it's uh, entitled, What Do Compliance Communication Programs Look Like? Uh, and we're going to be spending some time uh, kind of talking through uh, how you put together a com- compliance communication uh, plan, um, broad terms, uh, and then talk about different uh, compliance uh, uh, methods, different compliance tool, compliance communication tools, and compliance communication t- uh, methods. If you're interested in that, uh, the link 
uh, to registering for that webinar will be in the show notes for this podcast. And that's, uh, you can also always go to clearlawinstitute.com and uh, search my name or, or search compliance. And I, uh, th there are several recorded uh, versions of webinars uh, available from me, but also you this new uh, uh, webinar that's coming up, which is a new topic that I haven't done a webinar with them before on, should come up as well. But uh, thank you for joining us uh, for this conversation on uh, the new privacy law in California. And do join us next week for the second part of this conversation. Until next time, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.